Hello, John. Hello, Scott. Do you like movies? I think I love movies. Do you ever wonder if you're living inside a movie? Uh, A simulation? A cave? An idea? A dream? At least then I could, you know, explain some of the incomprehensible facts about existence that they'd be then programmed into reality. Um, So it's on my mind sometimes. How about you? I try not to think about it too much because it it is sort of the root of some of my anxiety. The idea of the simulation or that video game or whatever you want to call it. However, for the episode we're going into today, it's important to think about this is Popcorn Eschaton, a side story, a side show on the Zebras in America podcast network, a network of two podcasts. I am your co-host, Scott Thero, here with John Arminio, here to talk about some interesting films today. John, would you like to tell us about what we're talking about today? Yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about the Wachowskis' um breakthrough landmark but not the first film the matrix and david cronenberg's 1990 film 1999 film existence so interesting that these films came out in the same year play with a lot of similar themes about construction realities and um self-determination free will how society is coping with digital reality but they take very different approaches and I, and I think um, very characteristic of how the respective filmmakers tell their specific brand of science fiction and um, they're both very interesting but I think one of the films is more successful than the other Existence <laughs> Yeah, the, 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 the horny uh, port movie is the, <laughs> the more successful one But yeah, so 1999, let's close our eyes, take us back to a time where we still had CD players, the, the internet was slow, um, the idea of massively multiplayer online games was still forming, and it's just a weird time, it's a horny time, people wearing Jankos, you know, it's just, it's just different. I'm I'm 16, and uh, a bunch. We see this commercial for this movie coming out, where Keanu Reeves is like being chased, but you don't really know what's going on, and it's like lots of leather, and you're seeing uh, white people, and well, and Lawrence Fishburne, like American people doing classically uh, Hong Kong style action or Mm -hmm. wuxia action you know what I'm saying and you're like damn I'm gonna go see this movie this movie sounds tight and like you you know friends that are like I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna go see this movie on mushrooms you know not knowing anything because this is a different time. We still have VHS cassettes. DVDs are starting to on the market, and 
there are these movies that have twists and turns that pre super internet what well, you wouldn't know what to do with the trailer of the movie so this is a movie for for the trailer does it no justice and some and it had a similar problem like fight club fight club trailer made you think it was one movie and then you watch the movie and you're like oh this is this is a movie about toxic masculinity that most people are not going to realize is about toxic masculinity. I I think like in the case of Fight Club, I think um, that's the film's benefit because I think watching it and being surprised about it, its themes and and where it goes um, is for results in a better viewing experience and a more enriching one. But it was not beneficial for the film's uh, financial performance, that's for sure, at, at least at the time. Um, but The Matrix, on the other hand, was a cultural phenomenon immediately. Yeah. The Matrix was, was gigantic. It was one of the most popular movies of the time. And is still like a touchstone of so many different types of cinema. It, it brought a tight... It even like trademarked its own type of effects called bullet time which is you know uh, a slowing of scene while you're also pivoting it's very cool very cool bullet time look it up um, and it still works like it it's still awesome um, often imitated never duplicated no no so there's this movie I was so excited to see it I had I, but it was one of those movies where there's something going on in the plot that they don't reveal in the trailer, which is harder and harder to do these days. But then again, you'll there's sometimes you'll they'll try to sneak in a movie like do you did you hear about did you see that movie Serenity that came out a couple of years ago? Not not the one based off of Firefly. Um maybe What's it about? Uh, at the end of the day, it's basically a guy finds out that he's reincarnated into a simulation video game to help his son figure out how to kill his stepfather. Yes. Yes. I did see that. Yeah. 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 That was um, wild. <laughs> now, that movie would not have existed if not for the success of The Matrix. But whereas. The Matrix weaves in, especially knowing what we know now, uh, sexual politics, body politics, freedom politics into its narrative. A lot of these movies are void of that. But let's let's talk a little bit about The Matrix and a little bit about the Wachowskis. Yeah. John. You know, I think we're all familiar with the plot of the matrix um and I, I love this movie when i first saw it but i honestly the more i watch it now i love it more and more and i think you know when it was released the wachowskis had not come out as trans women but you know watching it in 2023 
it's so obviously a trans allegory that it adds just another layer of richness and also delicious fun to the story in, in, in a way that 1999 John Romano could not have been aware of. Like, you know, all the all the conversations between Morpheus and Neo about, like, there's something wrong with, um, you, you know there's something wrong with the world, but you can't explain what it is. Um, Agent Smith telling Neo that you're living two lives. And, like, t- taking away Neo's voice. Uh, the agent consistently dead-naming Neo. Like, all that stuff makes a film so much richer and, I think, provides a window into... The perspective of the Wachowskis and like everything they would do going forward, and you know, it just makes me love the film more and more. And for for the six people who have not seen The Matrix, how would you describe this movie? Um, it's it's about a constructed reality uh, in a post-apocalyptic future where humans have been. Um, imprisoned by machines and are harvested for their heat and uh, bioelectric products and they live out their lives in a late 20th century simulation where their physical bodies are kept in enormous farms and there's a, a resistance that is out to destroy the matrix and some of them believe that there is a one a savior uh, their own personal Jesus Christ, as, as said in, in the film, who is going to come and save them. And so it's about this group of resistance fighters who rescue Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, who will hopefully destroy the machines and um, save humanity. So, yeah, so you have, like, Keanu Reeves plays this, like, hacker dude living a regular-ass life, right? Mm-hmm. And starts getting like asked, like, "Hey, do you want to go deeper? Do you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole? What do you want to do?" And you're like, "What is this movie gonna gonna be? This is so exciting!" Like, and he is ushered into because certain people that exist in this bio engine realize that they're inside a bio engine or wonder. If they're inside the bio, they're not sure exactly what it is. And this movie does it so well. Um, it's, you know, like, and we'll talk about the use of the term, you know, the red pill, right? Yeah. Uh, he gets deeper and deeper into realizing that something is afloat. And Morpheus played to the 10th degree by Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, says, do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? You take the blue pill, you forget all this ever happened, you go back to living your shitty life, the red pill, you can really get woke, see what happens. Um, and he takes the red pill, and then he wakes up in a pile of goop inside this post-apocalyptic world where everything sucks. They're eating mush. They're in constant fear of death. Um, And it's like, yeah, there's all these allegories. Like, 
is ignorance bliss? There's a character in Stryker, right? Strider? Whatever. Um, Cypher? Cypher. <laughs> Played by Joe Pantoliano. Yes. Joe Pant. it's, and if you want to go deeper, because like the Wachowskis are super nerds, and their love of anime and Hong Kong cinema and comic books and video games goes super deep. Um, after the release of the third Matrix movie, we're not going into the sequels today. Sorry, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's its own episode. Uh, there was released a canon, supposedly, video game, Matrix, the Matrix Online, where the game was, the story was continued, and there was a cult of cipher in the game of people that were trying to that wanted to actively be blue pilled again because some people finding out that their life actually is just being a battery for robots in a world without a sun is not that great and Keanu Reeves' character Neo finds out that he might be the 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 internet messiah and inside the matrix which is like this these cool green letters learns how to control himself in the cyber world and meets the people and falls in love obviously um who and, wouldn't fall in love with trinity honestly fair enough and and then there's like this dichotomy of people that were born out of the matrix and then people who are born into the matrix because they have like these portholes in their heads and we'll be talking about ports again when we talk about a movie that tried to also do a similar matrix thing but ultimately failed financially at least um, and you're just like this movie the matrix created so many questions like what what is a messiah what is real if given the choice would we choose reality um you know how old were you when when the matrix came out did you see uh, it as a kid um yeah i did see it in theaters i saw you know when i was 14 and it really blew my mind um because I, I really went into looking at the the metaphors the Wachowskis were playing with, the the origins of some of the the imagery, the, the symbolism, which sort of philosophers they were they were pulling from. Um, probably the first book of philosophy that I ever read was The Matrix and Philosophy, and it was okay. But you know, just looking at at all the thought that went into constructing this world um, in the screenplay. And I had uh, friends who were in, um, like, as into anime and Hong Kong cinema as the Wachowskis were, so they saw all those references that I was missing, because all that stuff was new to me. You know, the Yen Wuping fight choreography, the... the, um, the floating kicks and, and all that acrobatics like this is the first time that me as a young teenager would was was seeing all that and and so you know i, I 
uh, as cliche as it is, certainly went down the rabbit hole of just being all in on loving the Matrix. And, um, and yeah, so it was just a great time to just be full-on experiencing a culture, a movie that was a cultural phenomenon like that because, you know, I had grown up watching Star Wars and Indiana Jones and hearing about, you know, people lining up for, for blocks watching those films, and so that was a way that I could, you know, sort of participate in, in something like that. And it's been a pleasure to revisit The Matrix at every every few years yeah i guess for us it was it's it was so it's sort of exciting to be part of a phenomenon right because mm-hmm. you like my dad told me about how big star wars was and there for me there i don't remember anything being quite as big as the matrix there were, i mean obviously there was like t2 but again i was like seven years old um there weren't a lot of superhero movies at the time, and most of them were not very popular. This was around the time when, like, you know, people would, like, trade information they found out, found about on, like, internet forums about the Nick Cage Superman movie, you know? And to find out about what, like, The Matrix is about, you had to, like, go on forums. What's really interesting is that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Um, I think the best part about early internet was message boards and forums. Mm-hmm. And I know that you agree because you you work at a comic book store. So like you, you work at basically the first forum. Yeah. And like that was how I got into metal was message boards because I didn't have any older brothers. I didn't have any older cousins or uncles who were into heavy metal. So the only way I could find out, like, you know, who who Bathory was or whatever was this, you know, a very patient metalhead on some forum being like, oh, if you like what's on the radio, maybe you'll like this. And, and yeah, so it was a really um, in, enriching experience as opposed to what spending time on the internet is, is now. And, and um, there's a really great graphic novel called User about very early um, MMO games when they were still text-based. And it's about somebody who um, sort of switches genders when they're in their MMO persona and how that affects their, their real life. And, and it was probably being written about the same time as, as The Matrix was coming out. So it's an inter- just you, you bring up comic books, and so that's just an interesting parallel. Well, there's well, there's a few reasons why I'm doing that. I'm I'm setting up some layups right now. I'm sure. Like, I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm a little wistful today. I'll be honest because um we're we're recording on a day with we're, we're recording on Thanksgiving and um in, in a if you think of America. As as a colonial imperialist project, which I sometimes do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that this day. See, as we grow, as we grow up and try to deconstruct what we learn, we slowly deconstruct the things, right? And you and I, I promise I'm coming somewhere. Uh, as a kid, you're like Thanksgiving is great because. The, the pilgrims and the Native Americans got along and they ate turkey and everything was great. 
and then you learn that that's not what happened and you can do the research on what the pilgrims and what the American project did to the Native Americans and this holiday for so many people has become one of pain for a lot of Native Americans this is not a great holiday for a lot of Americans this isn't a great holiday because and I'll get there so I, I promise I'm doing something here the Wachowskis are the probably the most prominent trans film directors right mm-hmm. is that fair to say I would say so yeah um, and as as they were able to be comfortable and if you look into it they were, both of them were pretty much outed when they were not quite ready to come out um, lot the there were lots of articles in Rolling Stone because the politics were different where they didn't realize like how violent it can be to out somebody that's not ready to be out um, like I say this with full with my full fucking chest outing people is violent it's this is a country that supposedly has all these freedoms but there's over a hundred new laws this year that take away the rights of trans kids um, that ain't freedom that ain't fucking freedom if you if you're on the wrong side of this of this trans thing history will look at you in a certain way I'm telling you and so um, the Wachowski show that you can be at the pinnacle of a genre and and be successful and and as they got comfortable they did work that was is so outwardly lgbtq plus i mean i feel the matrix is obviously a trans allegory i mean i think it's obvious and is super funky and free and beautiful and like now that we know more about the wachowskis the this movie especially holds up in a way that is super remarkable now on thanksgiving it can be really difficult um it can be really difficult because a lot of trans kids either can't go back home for the holidays or they have to deal with being dead named or it's just very painful and there's this overabundance of food it's a lot of pain it's a confusing holiday uh for me it also reminds me that my father passed away on thanksgiving when i was 16 years old so when i go back to media that is ultra connected and i'm not comparing my experience to that of trans kids um it's not even close my my life is I've lived a privileged life. I'm just saying that the Thanksgiving has challenges. So please don't think I'm comparing my plight. I'm not by any means of the of the imagination. But it can be interesting to to go back to our histories and see what they are. Um The Wachowskis were sort of 
on top well, they again go back to forms and all that stuff the Wachowskis are super nerds they were they their inspirations for these movies were you know Ninja Scroll and Hong Kong fighting movies and this could be apocryphal but they apparently were walking around the set with copies of Grant Morrison's Invisibles in hand and again I say this all that like web forums is where I hear a bunch of this stuff and read a bunch of this stuff and um, are you familiar with Jesus uh, and Marrow? Um, yes. Did you know that Marrow got his start just like commenting on underground rap forums? I did not know that. So back in the day, there were these amazing rap forums, and he was just the funniest dude on those. And he turned that into like a Twitter persona, turned that into getting writing gigs on Vice, turned that into... Uh, Jesus and Marrow. Oh, I knew he had like a Twitter persona that helped his career, but I did not know that started in internet forums. Interesting. The Twitter persona was a continuation of this, I, I guess, character mm-hmm. on forums. And yeah, just like you, I was a kid on forums learning about music genres, comic books, movies, and now... What do we, what is like the, if you, if the internet is destroying you, have you done, have you tried Discord? Yeah, yeah, I have mixed feelings on Discord. I don't really like the interface, um, but I know there's a lot of very positive and uh, welcoming communities there. I'm part of a couple, um, but I'm, I'm not motivated uh, to go to go to them as as much as I was to go to internet forums. See, I love I love Discord mm-hmm. because it it is very similar to internet forums. But yeah, the interface the interface sort of is very 1999 internet with emotes. Yeah. Um so The Invisible's comic book. Are you familiar? Um, I'm familiar with it, but I've actually never read it. Well, let me tell you, my friend. If you like Grant Morrison, which I know you do. Sometimes. Well, that's the that's the brilliance of Grant Morrison. I can argue why I think Grant Morrison is the greatest comic book writer of all time. And part of that is because of their willingness to miss. Mm-hmm. And we, we we can do that anytime. I'm happy yeah. to do it. Sure. Um, but Grant Morrison's The Invisibles is one of their magnum opuses. I'd say it's their greatest achievement. And Grant Morrison, non-binary Scottish comic book writer, responsible for some of the great comic books of all time, creates this comic book about sort of like these people that are living in between realities trying to stop these this larger entity trying to control things going in and out of bodies waking people up and again there's there's there 
there's allegation that the Wachowskis were carrying around issues of the Invisibles when making the movie. So you have all this stuff. And then what you have is also just a good movie. If you look at yeah. what, what makes a good blockbuster film is you have a story arc, you have good characters, you have flow, good music. The special effects at the time were insane. In fact, of all the four Matrix movies, this one has the best special effects yeah, in my it, opinion because it has the least reliance on cgi whereas well, the next yeah. three would rely so heavily on uh, on technology that would end up aging very quickly exactly because i think cgi does its best when it's understated when it yeah, is absolutely. like we just need more buildings we need to make this train station longer yeah. or we need to erase this wire work that's holding the actors up or, or whatever right because even the bullet time sequences is still like practical effects it's a room full of cameras it's yeah. so awesome but when you're like cgiing movement it just it hits the uncanny valley so quickly the uncanny yeah. valley being this uh notion that when something is a little too close to reality but misses a little bit, the it makes people recoil a tiny bit. Yeah. And, and you see that in a lot of the superhero movies where they're just like, well, we'll, we'll just make a, a CGI Superman or, or a CGI Black Panther and it'll look just as good and it'll be as compelling as a person-to-person fight. And it's not. It's, it's either repellent or boring. And it's, yeah, and it's super, um, it's super apparent in movies of the early aughts. Yeah. Like when I think of Matrix 2, Blade 2, Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire, I'm I'm reminded of the scenes that are clearly CGI characters because it's just very obvious because it's obvious still now, right? Yeah. Um, with these like deep fakes and AI, you're still like this looks like a video game. This mm-hmm. is not. There's something missing, human. And so that's why I I because I'm I'm researching Lord of the Rings for another podcast, and just what they did with Gollum, like they were filming about the same time that they're filming The Matrix. The fact that that is a fully realized character, like you can. You can tell it's a CGI, but the combination of the, the mo-capture and Andy Serkis's performance, like, those Weta people need to be enshrined in the Movie Hall of Fame for accomplishing what they did in 1999 and 2000. Just, wow. But I still think Gollum, the Gollum CGI is better than a lot of CGI right now. Absolutely, yeah. That That's, that's why it's so astonishing, like, to compare it to... You know what? What Disney or, or or Paramount or whoever is releasing now? I believe things hit pendulums, and um, in order to bring us back to a grounding, as we're seeing that a lot of cinema is not doing as well as it used to be, mm-hmm. is 
bring back practical, practical effects, be more sparing, be unafraid. You know, The Matrix, you could make a movie like The Matrix. And in fact, let's make more movies like The Matrix. Like, if, if you're listening when this episode comes out, The Marvels is the first Marvel, is the first MCU flop. Um, have you seen it? Yeah, it's it's okay. I disagree. I think it's awesome. Okay, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Because I don't. What infuriates me about not the movie, but the release around it is that like now every Marvel movie or every superhero movie has to be some sort of referendum on whatever it is on superhero movies on movies directed by women on movies starring women and just like can't i just like like a movie or not like a movie can't a movie succeed or fail on its own merits it's really frustrating well this is the toxicity of of culture and i could say that the matrix and internet culture so what's important to me about talking about the matrix is almost more important than talking about the movie is it's um and please like shut me up at any time it's influence and what it does for culture so yeah matrix creates super fans of this movie um if you see grandma's boy there's a you know me and marcus is one of our favorite silly movies from the early aughts about video game design the main bad guy like dresses like the matrix in like a large leather trench coat you know and so the matrix inspired like gigantic fandoms and people on forums and people just inspired by it and and then um fandoms are ripples and genre fans are fickle and sometimes amazing and sometimes not and fandoms become larger than sometimes what they're supposed to be and there's a lot of toxicity and i can talk about the how and i have and i've been censored and told not to talk about this before how the all-female version of ghostbusters radicalized a lot of nerds the the ghostbusters to maga pop pipeline the ghostbusters to pepe the frog pipeline is real and a lot of people who got tired of quote-unquote woke ideas or diversity in media say oh they got red-pilled and the red pill yeah. is a term that has now been commandeered by often men's rights activists, neocons, um, people that are involved in Gamergate, uh, sometimes incel communities, is that taking the red pill is is finding realizing that the world is fucked up not for you, against you. And what's funny is, I would say, yeah, true. Let's all take the red pill. The, the world is against you. Except I'm going to say the, you know, co- corporations are trying to take over the world. There is 
inequity everywhere. There are plate. We have more food and more access than we've ever had. Yet we have more homeless, more yeah. hungry, more starving. We should have more freedoms. Yet again, more and more politicians are going after trans kids, and the bo- the boogie person of trans inclusion in sports, which is a non-issue in my opinion. There's yeah. there's literature on it. If you disagree with me and you want to have a good faith conversation, find me on Twitter. We can talk good faith only. I'm not having gotcha conversations with anyone about this instance. And I will continue to say that that transphobia is going to be looked upon in a very bad way many years from now. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And none of these politicians who are making laws about women's high school and college sports, you know, gave two shits about it in their lives, certainly, and and are only talking about it now because it benefits their career and they're able to stoke fear. And this is a new page in a very old playbook where the powers that be or, you know, um, fascist-friendly politicians or or even corporate leaders um, create division in order to stoke their own popularity. And it's incredibly shallow and self-serving and short-sighted and also infuriating. Um, But just to, to bring it back to The Matrix specifically, you know, I think all that stuff is in the film you know it's a dystopian future where humans are imprisoned and harvested for their their bodies um you know there's all sorts of of death and violence but it's also what i think makes it so special is that it's inherently triumphant it's such a good time it's such a good watch and i think there's so much despair in post-apocalyptic movies, in movies about queer experiences, frankly, and they certainly have the right to e- express that, that despair because they've lived it. But for the Wachowskis to come out with this just extraordinary blast of fun and action and inject everything they love about pop culture and, and media into this movie, f- for just the Trinity dodge this moment, for the... Rage Against the Machine music cue at the end of Wake Up as, you know, Neo says, like, this isn't the end of something, it's the beginning. Like, it's, like, it just makes me want to, like, hoot and holler, you know? And after everything we've talked about, all the the shit in the world that's going on, like, The Matrix is an awesome time, and I'm really thankful to have it. And it's exciting to revisit and go back inside The Matrix of enjoying a movie. Yeah. Um, Because, again... This is a this is a big budget film where you can remember every single character. You can make a big budget Hollywood film where you're like, "Oh, well, I like I thought Cypher was really cool." And then there's those those brothers that are on that are on the Matrix ship, and then you have Trinity, and then you have the Oracle, and then you have Agent Smith, like every character and then there's Switch, who's 
non-binary and dressed in all white. And if you look deeper into the movie's history, that was supposed to be a trans character who was you, like, I was played about by to say that a different gender from from in the Matrix and outside. So like all that stuff is just so interesting. You took that cool tidbit away from me, John. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. This is this is why we this is why we like each other because yeah. when we do episodes about shows, we're not just like. When we do episodes about movies, at least I know one of the reasons I really like working with you, John, is I know that you don't just watch a movie, right? You you do your re- you do research, and that research uh, can yeah. be <laughs> what's that? That's true. That's true. Yes. Like sometimes to like a a, a very nerdy ass degree, you're like I, I did all this research, I have all these notes, and I think that gives people experience but also i think people that listen to this podcast probably have watched the movies but just want to hear like a vibe yeah um because i recently got a message from a friend who i had no idea was listening to this podcast and was like uh i loved that on the andre rublev episode y'all meandered very similar to the movie and i was like that wasn't my intention but thank you um and so what I loved so much about this movie is, again, while while the movie had a lot of influences, there was nothing like it. Obviously, it had more people reading Plato's The Cave than, you know, because a lot of people say that it, that it had to do with the allegory of the cave, that the, that the, is a matrix. But also, re-watching this movie under a Marxist lens, you can argue that and I know that a lot of people have argued differently, especially if you take the trilogy and, well, tetralogy into consideration. They argue that the film has libertarian tendencies. I disagree. I think The Matrix is absolutely an anti capitalist film. Um, and, like, Matrix obviously functions as ideology from from a leftist perspective and a spiritual perspective which we must get into and <laughs> oh, this is going to be a long episode because we haven't even gotten into existence yeah <laughs> um and i'm sorry about that. that's my fault i just I, I i'm i'm having so much fun talking about this so like neo is dissatisfied in his in the life that he's living in his role inside a capitalist society and I believe that um, the matrix the computer program no creates creates a matrix as a capitalist society as to have people fight for access and resource so they don't have time to question what is going on because if the matrix was a socialist utopia without without with with all resource there would be more time to exist and be happy and then notice like hey something's wrong yeah and you know smith says that explicitly that the matrix used to be perfect mm-hmm. that all needs were provided for and um from his perspective um, the human mind could not handle that and the, the matrix collapsed but this is somebody who, you know, describes humanity as a virus, um, who, like, he's he's consumed by the stink of humanity. He 
hates us. He hates his existence. He hates it there. Um, and so, of course, he would see a collapse of the Matrix as humanity's fault. Um, but I would say, you know, he does float the possibility that, that the machines don't have the programming language to create a perfect world. And, and I think that's probably uh, more true than human beings just not being able to handle a, a perfect society. Um, because, yeah, Smith's not a trustworthy objective source for what the machines are doing on, or the cognitive capacity of human beings. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, you know, even um, Neo's boss says that, oh, you need to learn that you're part of a whole. And and I think that that speaks to the anti-capitalist uh, message of the film. It's the the capitalist life is portrayed as gray um, and unfulfilling. So, yeah, I, I don't think the movie is libertarian at all, certainly. And when we go deeper into the trilogies, I would argue that the system in which the people who have been taken out of the Matrix is an anarcho-communist sort of thing with mm -hmm. vanguards um, because it because anarcho-communism, which is a lens that I value a lot, doesn't mean that there... Anarchy doesn't actually mean there aren't rules. It means that rules are decided by the people that are affected by them, at least in my lens of the anarcho-communist idea. And also the Wachowskis were were inspired by simulacra and simulation by Baudelard, which has a lot of anarcho-leftist leanings. I highly Makes recommend it. Makes a cameo it. in the film. Yeah, Absolutely. But, okay, Neo as Jesus. Go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's called um, he's called Jesus Christ explicitly as, as uh, by another character. He's sent to, to save them. You know, by the time of the third movie, he dies and is, re is resurrected. He, he dies and is resurrected. In, in this film um, and I also think there is an argument to be made that he's a, a Buddhist figure oh absolutely be because he's um, bringing people enlightenment and you know he's he's um, it's a long journey that humanity has to go towards to achieve enlightenment because so many people, or the majority of humanity, are not ready um, to break free from the Matrix because you know it—it's a real mindfuck, um, like a splinter in your mind, to realize that everything you know is not true and that it's all a simulation. And so I think it's—it's going to take more than him sacrificing himself, him sort of. Uh, gaining control of reality, being able to heal people and perform miracles, which he does, to, to lead humanity um, on the path of, like, redemption and, and, and self-actualization. And so I, I think um, he's not a one-to-one -one Christ allegory, even though he is betrayed by somebody and, you know, he has a... Uh, Morpheus is certainly a John the Baptist type figure, or an Obi Wan. Um, but but I also think that, um, like a lot of things, the Matrix breaks the mold because Morpheus survives, 
uh, Neo defies fate. He, in a lot of ways, he defies the typical hero's journey. And, and I think the Wachowskis are very cognizant of that. And that's why I think The Matrix is much more rich than a one-to-one Christ allegory. Although, you know, I certainly read those things into it. And it's it's fun for me after, you know, seeing so many times. It's like, well, okay, well, here, you know, there's more Christ than Buddha. And, and here, okay, well, here's like the Schopenhauer idea of will becoming reality and and foregoing predestination and um you know so much of jesus's existence is knowing that at some point he's gonna have to sacrifice himself for the greater humanity and for neo um there is no destiny he makes his own fucking destiny they're like sacrifice himself like that doesn't need to happen we can all survive this and with the helicopter and the gatling gun he makes it happen and also, so as when we go deeper into the sequels, the obviousness of Neo as a Jesus or Buddha or reincarnation figure becomes more apparent. Yeah. And there's so many traditions, uh, mystical traditions, that believe that Jesus might have actually been a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this before. That during during the years that he disappeared, there's you could say fan fiction or um, you know uh, esoteric texts yeah, that suggest text, yeah. apocryphal texts that suggest that he was in Tibet, that he was in that he was in areas where Buddhism was practiced, and can suggest his viewpoints about it, but. I know you're like, I want to talk about existence, so please. Sure. Um, Existence, uh, like we said, is a 1999 science fiction film directed by uh, David Cronenberg. It's about a virtual reality game uh, called Existence that people play through these like uh, biological game systems that plug into their uh, backs, their, their spinal cord. And it creates a completely believable Matrix-like simulation of of a video game. And it's definitely of its time um, in the way that it interprets, like, video game logic and um, character behavior. And I think it's uh, interesting in, the ha- in how different, even, even in some of the correlations between the two films, like a, a Bioport, accessing the matrix there's like zero sexuality about entering into the matrix in the movie the matrix mm-hmm. but everything about the biopod and entering not into... in the fan fiction though there is some horny oh, oh, oh. fan fiction I, I can imagine um everything about the the bioports in existence is just replete with uh sexual connotation or or explicit imagery um the the way the cord that you connect to your your biopod is called the umbi cord so there's this inherent like you know womb um metaphor with with entering into existence um we we see characters sort of like like licking their fingers and rubbing it on their bioports or, or licking the, the connecting tube 
Um, so it's just all ex explicit in that way. And But for the director of Crash, there's also zero nudity. So it's an interesting uh, dichotomy with a movie so replete with sexual imagery, but then, you know, everybody keeps their, their clothes on the whole time. Um, but what I think makes us the most interesting parent, especially, you know, after the the fan community and the red pill phenomenon that has happened since the Matrix is that um, existence, so much of it is about an artist interacting with their own art and how that art is affected by the people who participate in it. And so I think of all the current art forms, you know, video games are the ones that are most given towards the consumers of it participating in it. And so Existence uh, addresses that directly, and it also uh, reflects, I think, two things that are inherent in, in um, David Cronenberg's sort of ideology in that, like, he, he thinks that we are, at first, like at our most basic, our bodies. And so our anxieties about our bodies are what run deepest. And so that's why so much of his horror um, is about the, the, the body. But he also believes that all reality is created or all reality is virtual. So we're always creating our own reality every day. We get up in the morning, we decide who we are. Uh, we, we interpret um, our sensory, you know, perceptions in our own unique way and and so I think for him he'd be on cypher side he'd be a, a cult of the blue pill because you know it's our reality is just what, what we perceive it as so why not eat a, a delicious steak and you know at the end of the film a character asks wait are we still in the game and for Cronenberg I don't know if it matters because experience is just experience, and and so I, I definitely think the movie is enjoyable and in, and interesting, and does a lot of things um, that other Cronenberg movies and and The Matrix do, um, but I think there are better examples of of that in in, in his filmography. Which is funny though, because like you know Cronenberg is one of the he's a, he's a person that no one has they either have no feelings on him or they think like he's one of the great film directors of our generation and people that love him love him so much and have different are like this is my favorite movie and this is my favorite movie and this is my favorite movie and I'm, I'm someone who's who's actually sort of not as connected to Cronenberg as, as other people are and but though I think he's 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 got a Steven Spielberg level of of genre intelligence in that yeah. any genre he does he does really well mm -hmm. he just mostly does like body horror and yeah. stuff like that oh then he'll do and, a Stephen King adaptation like Dead Zone which rocks and which Rocks. doesn't really look like any of his other movies, but it, I love it. And then you know, like like he does Eastern Promises, and yeah. and which is like one of the best um, 
organized crime movies of the mm-hmm. past 20 years. Absolutely. It's just like brilliant. It's paced wonderfully. The, 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 the beats are done really well. I'm just saying he's, he just is a master storyteller. He does what I think Steven Soderbergh tries to do, but with even more fuerte. Um, because <clears throat> Steven Soderbergh makes movies in so many genres, but I don't notice like a stamp mm. that that permeates where like David Cronenberg, even when doing a history of violence, you're like, oh, this is a Cronenberg flick to me. Yeah. He has those beats. So I just thought Existence was was a great um, connection to The Matrix because, again, they're both movies from the same time period they both deal with a similar milieu and um both deal with alternate reality in a way that felt like super science fiction when it came out right but now with with the oculus and metaverse and things of that nature alternate reality and altered reality are becoming a thing they're you know yeah uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I, I, sorry. Oh, um, sorry. I, I was just gonna say, like, what what I think is interesting about existence, or one of the things that, about the the film that's interesting for uh, our podcast is that you know, one, the opening sequence of the film takes place sort of at um, like a a demonstration of the game inside of a church. And at the end, uh, spoiler alert, um, it's revealed that the whole preceding film was within a game called Transcendence by Pilgrimage. And so you have this explicitly religious setting um, testing a game with like explicitly religious terminology. And there's no real, like messianic or religious metaphors inside the game um there's Cronenbergian gross stuff like the the flesh gun um, <laughs> that that shoots teeth <laughs> um but it, it's it's not like um anybody has a specific religious message but there's certainly a cult of realists who are against any sort of alternate reality and are um dedicated to assassinate people who are, who are making these games. And so, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious as to why Cronenberg chose to add these sort of, like, religious symbols into a film that doesn't seem to have, um, like, a, a religious mission statement in a way that, like, The Matrix does with its Christ and, and Buddhist parallels. So I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. If you don't, it's okay because maybe that means that it's a theme that Cronenberg didn't develop enough. I yeah, I don't think that he developed it enough for me to have um, much of a thought about it. <clears throat> I thought sometimes I feel like the the twist of the movie felt a little like not well thought out. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of oh, this is a game within a game within a game. It seem feels like an obvious uh, 
thing to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's a popular trope when the Matrix sequels happened. There was a thought was that when you're like, is is there a Matrix within the Matrix? Um, then there's obviously um, Inception. It's like, are they are they are they still dreaming? Uh, my answer is I don't care. And um, it's just like I wish I wish they toyed around with it a little more because it doesn't for me in in a rewatch it doesn't feel like super aware that that's happening to me. Um, and I just think the it's more interest to to me it's interesting how this sort of stuff is going to possibly be part of our future. I know that that's what, you know, sorry, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk would like to do with Neuralink and Meta and virtual reality. Like, they Talk want to... people not paying attention to the science fiction that they say they enjoy. Right. They claim that they like cyberpunk, but are creating cyberpunk. They want to create like glasses that will, like put that will augment things around you. Will like have you see Pikachu sitting in the corner, or like make people look different. It's it's really very scary. And then we we have turned around so much that in our in our life that people probably want the blue pill more than they want the red pill ready ready player one is essentially like take the blue pill mm-hmm. have you seen ready player one um i've read uh, yes um i think the the book is a much more um uh even-handed take on on a on a world that's constantly like plugged in and the advantages and disadvantages of, the, of that um well, like in the book, it talks about how you know if if everybody has equal access to this virtual reality universe, then we can like completely democratize education, for example, and everyone on the planet can take a field trip to the Louvre or to the top of Mount Everest. Um, and the movie seems to be uninterested in that kind of thing, and and the book is more about how like how that democratization is being taken away by corporations in favor of let's make everybody like ride the iron giant or, or whatever. Um, so I wish there was a more anti-capitalist message in, in the film. Yeah. I, but I don't, yeah, I don't know that from, from David Cronenberg's films, I don't always know what his politics are. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very much, uh, inscrutable in his own, uh, personal politics and, and, and views, except that, um, what grosses him out and and or makes him horny we we can glean that right and like like i like horniness is political mm-hmm. but like I, I like i would have to work really hard to figure out the politics of crash <laughs> yeah but as we as we close out this episode do you have some more thoughts you'd like to say um uh just one more thought about like an artist interacting with their own art there's a couple scenes when you rewatch it of 
Jennifer Jason Lee sort of like caressing like the the like the gas station walls or, or a bookshelf or something. And it's because they're in existence. Um, and she's admiring her own creation. And, you know, artists don't really get to enjoy the majesty of their work in that way. And I, th I thought that that was probably, like, the best part about rewatching it is, is noticing those uh, little beats. So I'm, I'm glad I did. And I, I enjoyed revisiting these movies with you, yeah. John. Same to you. It's it, it's always great to get to talk about movies with you, Scott, and especially one like the fucking Matrix. Hell yeah. Yeah. And don't be, listen, guys, uh, girls, and everyone in between, don't be transphobic. Nope.